Hi, welcome to Sweetman Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Simon Sweetman, and this is episode 120. One of our international guests, I had a chat with a guy called Sam Cutler. He was the tour manager for the Rolling Stones back in 1969. The uh, infamous Altamont show was the end of that American tour. He had been involved in the music industry uh, for a few years leading up to that, and and um, the Stones asked him to, to to work with them to manage their American tour. He'd, he'd first worked with them on the Hyde Park show, so. There's this footage of him you can see in in the famous Stones documentary Give Me Shelter and in the Hyde Park concert and he went on to, um, and also in the great concert film Festival Express which we touch on in this conversation uh, where he worked with the Grateful Dead and the band and Janis Joplin and, and so many great people. He then went on to uh, work with the Grateful Dead for a number of years as a tour manager, including in their one of their most famous times uh, post uh, American Beauty and Working Man's Dead when they did the the, the seminal Europe '72 double live album, and then the expansive box set that's recently come out, and all of the bootlegs that have been around for many years from that tour. So it was really good luck to sit down and talk with him. Now how that happened was he was recently here for a, a, a series of New Zealand shows where they were screening the Gimme Shelter documentary and he was to do a, a Q&A afterwards. I was going to uh, be the, ho- the MC or the host or whatever of the Wellington show. I was going to sit down with him and do the Q&A and I was going to introduce him and the film. Uh, and, and for reasons, uh, I guess, uh, unknown to me, something to do with, uh, with the marketing there, the Wellington show didn't happen. So I, I just jumped on it and said well is he going to be in town Could he, would he like to have a chat and uh, you know a couple of days later he was around at my house uh, telling me firsthand these stories of all these people you know that, that we all know and this music that we all sort of know and love we know of these people uh, so I've, I've had the chance to sit down and meet someone who you know, could tell me shit insight, not just on Mick Jagger and, and uh, Keith Richards and Jerry Garcia and those sorts of names, but also those people that are, you know, like Mick Taylor, who's who's been a, a fascinating figure to me uh, for his, his brief but impactful time in the Rolling Stones. So we talk a bit about uh, Sam's life, these huge characters that loom large in it and what he's been doing since. He's written a fantastic book called You Can't Always Get What You Want, which is... It's been around for a few years now, but it's one of the. It's a really great book because obviously he's got these amazing stories, but this guy can write, and he's still involved in a lot of writing projects. I'll, I'll put up a link to his his Facebook where you can follow him and his blogs. He's he's an entertaining writer, and he's working on several book projects, which he mentions at the end of this chat. Um, and he he lives in Australia now, has done for a few years. So yeah, we get into a little bit of stuff outside of the rock and roll, but it's mostly just rock and roll because this is a guy who lived and breathed it, and I guess helped facilitate it. Uh, it was a, a real thrill and an honour to meet this guy and to have a, ch- a chat with him, an extensive chat. Uh, this is me sitting down chatting with uh, tour manager of, you know, two of the biggest bands in the world on two of their biggest ever tours. Uh, his name is Sam Cutler. Normally when I do a podcast with someone, I give them a little warning and say, um, look, if there's anything they don't want to me to bring up or they don't want out on the record yeah. um, but I feel like that's completely wasted with you because you've you've, <laughs> you've said everything well I mean well not quite everything, everything but, but you've you've named a, names yeah, already is no what I mean area that won't, yeah won't, you know yeah I mean why would you be in the entertainment business if yeah. there was stuff that you didn't want to talk about oh I can't talk about my dog what <laughs> you know whatever you yeah know yeah what I mean? yeah like, why you know what I mean? um so I you, mean given that <coughs> I mean there's always um, there's always the position for tour managers 
the, the tour manager's role needs be has a, a modicum of discretion yeah. attached to it. I, I don't want to say it's like working for the Queen of England, yes. so you're never allowed to say what colour her <laughs> underwear is or something, you know what I mean? Yeah. If you do the royal ironing. Mm. But, um, Although, <laughs> I mean, there are things you know <coughs> as a tour manager that I know um, and the other tour managers that I've known for famous bands would know that just wouldn't, just don't, are not going to see the light yeah. of day, yeah, you know yeah, what I mean, yeah. regardless. Yeah. Because discretion de- demands it and and you're not the kind of person that would, would that would, uh, what's the word, rejoice in kind of idle gossip mm. or, or indeed is, in, in you know, insensitive enough to say things that would be... Uh, would be damaging. Well, you're um, you've got a great knack for storytelling as a writer, so you sort of know what works yeah. there too. And I yeah. think you know, I always say that um, <coughs> you know, if you're going to write a book or or, no. or any kind of story, you've got to have one of two things: you've either got to be a fucking good writer or have a fucking good story. And and obviously, if you've got both, that which helps. and and you yeah. have that because a lot of people that have written books. If not in the style you've written, but certainly along the same subject, the the writing isn't good enough to sort of justify it. Yeah, and also, you know, I mean, it's now become a kind of hackneyed um, mm. uh, genre, mm. you know. Yeah, um, yeah. Do we really care how many, you know, how many women you had at an orgy or how, what drugs yeah. you did? I yeah. mean, what, perhaps in the 60s, early 60s, that would have been quite kind of... You know, inspiring, interesting, whatever, titillating. Nowadays, it's like yeah. it's almost expected that that's what you're going to talk about, and yeah, nobody's yeah. particularly impressed by it anyway. Well, I, like, I, I mean, quite quite apart from that, and, and we'll talk about um, mm. you know some 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 things in specific, obviously, mm. which you're used to doing. But quite apart from from the extraordinary events, you're a, um, you know a fan of music and a passion for music comes through. Yeah, I mean, I, which, I mean, I, which, which you know, yeah. I think needs to as well in these sorts of tales. Yeah, I mean, tour management's a funny thing. I mean, you can work with people who, yeah, are total bitches or assholes, whatever you want to call them. You know what I mean? And and you know who you despise or whatever. I guess you could do that. I never did that. I've I've um, all my life. I started off my life working class background in London. People were constantly telling me. Mm. You got to do this. You got to do that. You got to do this. You got to do that. All because what you need is a good job. Mm. Well, a good job to me is just is the absolute antithesis of what I've ever wanted <laughs> yeah. in my whole life. Yeah. I, I don't need a job. I don't want a job. Yeah. And indeed, I've had times when I've been virtually starving, and I'm quite happy not to have a job. Yeah. And uh, and I've certainly not seen jobs as the, the as the you know. <coughs> <coughs> Excuse me. Is the um, you know the answer to poverty? Mm, mm, mm. You know, so I just don't see things in those those terms. Um, so I've been you know my whole life. I, yeah, I only, I've only done things because I love doing them. But it's quite an extraordinary uh, set of circumstances to think back on. Because now I would imagine if you know if I were to talk to the current tour manager of the Rolling Stones, they might yeah. have started by. You know, tour managing someone they didn't want to, and 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 stuff like that, and working their way up and having this CV and event management. Whereas they're yeah. the first band you tour managed. 
No, 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 no. They weren't the first band. In I terms was. of, in terms of, oh, their first large band. Yeah, I yeah, that's what I mean. I mean, like, I, I've, I've worked with a lot of bands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I knew all those people. I yeah, mean, yeah. You know, um, it's odd how people end up being tour managers for people. I mean, you know, w- women are tour managers now. Women make good tour managers. Mm. I mean, because the basic, the basic requirement of being a t- tour manager. And uh, I guess I can swear in this because oh, you can yeah. always say, yeah. um, you know, whatever. Uh, the basic t- t- requirement of being a tour manager is, in the final analysis, that you give a fuck. Yeah. You actually really yeah, yeah. care about yeah, stuff, yeah. you know what I mean? Well, again, that shines people, through you know, Just because they're giving you money, yeah. don't mean to say you actually care very much about yeah. people. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. You know, and if you pay people to care for you, then you're not going to get much of a... Mm. Much of a, mm. a of a, a service, mm. you know. It's mm. much better to to pay people if you remember to, uh, and and have the people that you know are working with you actually love you and really, you know, yeah, yeah, really genuinely care about you. See, so I, you know, I've never really been. I mean, this must be a character fault on my part, but I've never been able to do work of any kind effort put yeah. effort into something yeah. unless I loved it yeah I couldn't I've never been able to see the point I had my my mother would be turning in her grave my mother was a, <laughs> on the central committee of the communist party of England and was a a trade union leader mm. and only saw terms in you know life in terms of work and mm. and working to earn money to, to all to support your lifestyle and blah 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 I've never seen any of that mm. you know but mm. then I was a war baby. I was born the same year as the Rolling Stones, 1943, middle of the war. I was born, the difference between me and the Rolling Stones is the Rolling Stones weren't really born in a crossfire hurricane. <laughs> they lived in Dartford, Kent. Yeah. You know what I mean? Where, uh, where basically fuck all happened, although yeah. there was a war going on. Yeah. But if you went 30 mile down the road to where I lived, they were being bombed flat. Mm. Yeah, that was London, you know, mm, so... Mm. There's a slight difference, but uh, well, I think that's that. That's how they got to things like um, talking about uh, sympathy for the devil and jumping Jack Flash. Those lyrics, yeah. they you know, Mick Jagger really Definitely. invented a mythology, right? Based around based around a lot of love for you know blues music and rock and roll and all of that. But they had to invent something, otherwise yeah. they would have run their course as. I mean, the thing is, another the, mod combo. Yeah, I mean, if you. You know, if you were born in in the in the Second World War as a baby, and grew up in the in the aftermath of the Second World War, where there was rationing, you know, till fifty one mm. or fifty two. You know what I mean? Mm. I was about eight or nine, I think, before rationing stopped. How could you not have a somewhat jaundiced view of the human race? Mm-hmm. Mm. There they are trying to bomb the fuck out of you, you know what I mean? Mm. Half the human race is trying to kill the other half and that other half is trying to make babies. Mm. So you're either fucking or fighting and it's all chaotic, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just a disaster, isn't yeah. it, you know what I mean? So you have a kind of somewhat jaundiced view of humanity, mm. you know, which I think one could safely say that the Rolling Stones possess, you know what I mean, and, and, and people of my generation perhaps, or some of them at least possess, certainly the artists of my generation mm. possess. And, um, yeah, you know, it's, it's um, 
ever since the Second World War, I mean, people forget, more people have died in regional wars since the Second World War than died in the whole of the Second World War. The, the, for me, for somebody like me, my life has been nothing but war. Yeah. I mean, I might not have been in fucking Baghdad or I might not have been in, you know, Tehran or mm -hmm. wherever, you know what I mean? Or, mm. or uh, you know, in Lebanon or in uh, the Belgian Congo or mm. wherever. Mm. But, you know, war has been ubiquitous on mm. the planet, thanks mm. to the Americans who, you know, won the big one. And, uh, you know, it's just been going on ever since. But... Um, Plus, you've been in meetings with Bill Graham and... <laughs> <laughs> and that yeah. kind of war too, right? Local, local, <laughs> localized uh, conflicts, for sure, man. Yeah, I mean, yeah. And that's—I mean—that too is a function of loving what you do and loving the people that you work with and mm. caring about mm. them. If you don't care, big fucking deal. You know, Bill Graham's ripping them off. So fucking what? That's their problem. So but it's not. You know, if you love people and you work for people, yeah. and you're their tour manager, their problems, whether you like it or not, are your problems. Yeah, yeah. So it's, you know, whether it's somebody trying to rip them off, screw them, mm. metaphorically or otherwise, mm. uh, you know what I mean? Mm. These all are all things that one, uh, one, whether one likes it or not, one, one needs to face. And I mean, I never shied away from uh, dealing with anything and I've dealt with everything from fucking murder to assaults to people with guns and uh, every, every, virtually every conceivable, um, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, manifestation of human frailty greed, <laughs> obscenity, and, and well, just, you know... Well, before that. we get directly into that, because I was thinking when yeah. I was reading your book, you know, not only, you know, the first really big group you work with is the Rolling Stones, and, and, and really that's the first really b big, proper rock and roll show in terms of... It, it kind of sets the blueprint for the big rock and roll show that happened, and certainly for the Rolling Stones' career, that 69 tour, that they've kind of emulated that touring-wise ever since, in a way, right? Yeah. And that was, don't forget, that was invented then. Mm, that's what I, I mean, mean like, because yeah. they'd had, I mean, the last time they'd toured, there was none of that, like... Well, it was four, almost yeah, four years before that. Exactly, so they were yeah. used to the whole... You could hear the screams over top of well, them. Yeah, they couldn't I mean, hear themselves. And their shows and, lasted twenty minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was just a, it was just yeah. a music video without yeah. being filmed. It was That's just right. an advert. Indeed. Um, and then and then it turns into a spectacle and an art form in and of itself. So yeah. before we there get, were reasons for that. I mean, I was just going to say. Yeah. Let me just say, you know, one of the major reasons for that was the decision of the Stones, a uh, Mick. I mean, you know, um, to travel with his own sound and mm. lights mm. like that. That was a huge step forward. Mm. Uh, I don't know that any band prior to that 69 tour actually had travelled with their own sound and lights. Mm. Any, any mm. band. Mm. So that that makes a huge difference if you're an artist. You're obviously trying to sing a song. You do, hopefully, you know, you want people to listen to you. Mm. Mm. You know, if you've got the same sound system at each venue, then you stand a chance of kind of reproducing things yes. in, the, in, yes. the, in the way in which you would like it yeah, to be reproduced yeah. but of course the, just just not to interrupt your flow but just to add the Rolling Stones were like speechless that people expected to listen to them mm. on that show mm. Mm. it was something that kind of freaked them out when we did the first show which was dreadful at, um, <laughs> at uh, where was it in Colorado yeah and uh, I went on to say you know we were flying there and uh 
Mick Mick was talking to Ronnie Schneider and, and said to someone like, "Well, who's going to introduce the band?" And Mick said, "Oh, Mick Sam will do it. You know what I mean? Yeah, he'll do anything. We'll just ask him. You know what I mean? <laughs> we'll tell him, not we'll ask. Yeah, him. Oh, yeah. we'll tell Sam to do it. Oh, yeah, okay. And uh, I'm like, okay, yeah, I don't give a fuck. You know, whatever. <laughs> and then uh, I didn't even think about it. You know, I had lots to do, and suddenly, you know. It's like five minutes, so we're going to go on stage in five minutes. I'm thinking, what am I going to fucking say? And I thought about these girls. There was two girls that used to hang out with us. Sexy fucking things they were. And um, the dynamic duo, we called them, that used to, you know, look after Mick, basically. But, yeah, he was a great disappointment to them. But that's another story. Anyway, <laughs> um, I asked them. They were, we were rehearsing in... Um, I can't remember, Warner Brothers. We had a sound stage at the Warner Brothers in Burbank, right? Mm. And it all set up there, the whole, you know, a complete stage set up in this fucking gigantic cavernous room where they shot, um, they shoot horses, don't they? Right, it's kind of like yeah, Grumman's yeah. Chinese yeah. theatre inside it. Yeah. And uh, the band were playing, they were dreadful. There was only these two girls standing there in this giant empty cavern of a place. Mm. And I wandered over and I was standing there with them listening to it. I said, what do you think of, think of this? Right? What do you reckon? Oh, they're the greatest rock and roll band in the world, she said. I was like, yeah, right. My <laughs> ass. You know, but anyway, then I, you know, I was about to run on the stage and think, what am I going to fucking say? I don't know. You know I mean, I ran on stage. There I am. And I went, the greatest rock and roll band in the world. The, <laughs> blah, 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 blah. the place goes nuts. And afterwards, Mick came up and he gave me this filthy look. I was like, oh, what this fucking... He said, I want to talk to you. Okay. So you come here. So we went in the in the dressing room on our own. Mm. And he goes, don't fucking call us, uh, you know, the greatest rock and roll band in the world, man. It's embarrassing. So I said, well, either you fucking are or you ain't. <laughs> and, he, and he obviously thought, we ain't, because we immediately... We had, there was like a two... Week break between that right. and the first date, they immediately went into the into back into that place at Warner Brothers, mm. and then they rehearsed properly. And that's what's so wonderful about the Rolling Stones, in a way. The Rolling Stones, very human band. Mm. You can hear them e even within a gig, you know, struggling to get it together. Mm. A big fight, and slowly it comes together. And mm. the bass and the drums are all working, and Keith gets it together. And then after the third or fourth number. It's it's kind of gone somewhere. Well, I was thinking you know? I, I was thinking that's actually really well captured in that film Sympathy for the Devil yeah. about uh, you know about the making of that yeah. song, yeah. and you see the whole evolution of ch yeah. particularly Charlie getting the groove. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's it in a in a nutshell, isn't yeah. it? That's a microcosmic look at at what they've sort of done ever since then in terms Very of human. Band. Yeah, I, I yeah. Mean, I mean, I love the. I mean, for the same reason, I love the, the Grateful Dead. The two bands that. Yeah, their humanity as musicians shines through. Mm. Of course, I mean, massive dis dis differences between mm. the two bands because mm. the Rolling Stones kind of the... I mean, people always ask me, what are they? So, I mean, I, I always describe the differences as this, you know, that, uh, yeah, the Rolling Stones get on the stage, they've got a set thing they want to do, here's the set list, they play that, they do it as fast as they fucking can, they hate the gaps between <laughs> numbers, you know what I mean? Yeah. Get it over with, stick them with the shit and split, bang, big show, boom. Mm. Grateful Dead, come on stage, <laughs> more or less have a joint, you know, smoke yeah. a joint, and oh yeah, oh, that's right, we're doing a show, okay, play a few numbers, have another joint, everything's pretty relaxed, we're not the show, you're the show, yeah. the audience, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And then it lasts for four and a half hours, yeah. or whatever, <laughs> yeah, six they, hours. They kind, of, I mean? they kind of strike me as, um, they, they find out or work out what they want to do on stage 
at the end after they've done it, <laughs> you know, in almost. Sense, yeah. sense, but then, you know, if all things are possible, everything's probable, mm-hmm. you know, and that's the difference perhaps between the Grateful Dead and the Rolling Stones is that the, the Grateful Dead built into the way in which they play and their whole approach to music, the, uh, the, uh, um, the space, the fluidity, the, the willingness to go anywhere. Mm. It, it wasn't necessarily strictly handcuffed to the form of that particular mm. song. Mm. The Rolling Stones, whilst they, if you like, diddled about a bit in the middle, if mm. maybe, mm. Mm. by and large, <laughs> the Rolling Stones aren't, weren't people that, um, that were in the jamming as such, you know, yeah, or yeah. allowing it to go wherever, you know, the, the, the mm. feeling might take it. Or they certainly don't let people hear, you know, if that's if that was ever part of their process. It's you know beyond a few things like that that film I just mentioned. It's not really captured well, for anyone to see, is it? Well, I think the closest they got to it was yeah. was with um, Mick Taylor yes. because um, because Ronnie is a different kind of player. Mm-hmm. Ronnie's like a supportive player mm-hmm. that wants to help the music go where it's going, which is kind of basically established by Keith you know, in mm. musical terms, right? Mm. Whereas uh, Mick Taylor was somebody who who had the uh, the musical gravitas, if you like, mm. to to make it go places and, and to create feelings. You know? I mean, they all loved him as a player. Mm. Brilliant player, brilliant. Well, y- you ask, you know, most people to this day, or you look at lists that are compiled and the, the albums that he's on, Particularly, you know, yeah. other 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 ones that people usually name and their favourite Rolling Stones albums, right? Yeah, you know, I mean, they're, 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 I mean, I not me, not for me particularly, sure. but I mean, the, I think there's no question that, that, that Mick Taylor, in, especially in Exile on Main Street, and, yeah. and Sticky uh, Fingers, you Sticky Fingers, yeah, the Yayas out, yeah. uh, um, you know, on Let It Bleed, which again is an amazing album. Mm, mm. Uh, on those albums, he took the Rolling Stones. He took the Rolling Stones to the place that Brian would have taken them if Brian hadn't been such a fucking arrogant dickhead yeah. as to think that when everybody else was taking one quantity of a different yes. drug, he, he had to take five. Yeah. You know, just to show everybody <laughs> what, a, what a big boy he was. He was just yeah. an infantile about drugs. But of course, you know, in those days, man, people didn't know about that shit. You, well, you didn't know you, how to moderate what they were taking. You guys were doing the tests for us, you know, for everyone that's coming in a way. In a sense, and, and of course those people that died, unfortunately, were people, mm. you know, who didn't realise that certain drugs just don't mix with alcohol. Yeah, and certain people don't mix with certain drugs. And Indeed. Yeah, yeah. Indeed. And, um, I mean, since you mentioned Mick Taylor, I, I really, one of the chapters I think I like most in your book is just the short little chapter about Mick Taylor. You know, yeah. he obviously comes in and out of the book but there's a chapter you dedicate to to talking about him and you know the documentaries I've watched and the other books I've read give me some idea of what how how he didn't ever quite fit into the stones which is ironic because as we we're just saying they made some of their best and most lasting music with him he was such an unassuming I mean so, some of the really truly great musicians mm. aren't um they're not kind of riddled with self-confidence, mm. shall we say, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They do what they do and people laud their playing and all that, but they're mm. not, you know what I mean, they're not that secure in themselves. I don't think that Mick Taylor, Mick Taylor 
It's very difficult for me to judge or say mm. what Mick's attitude to the stuff around him was. I think he had a, a relatively low opinion, actually, of mm. other people's playing because he's he, a, he was good. That's... such a fine player, yeah. you know what I mean? And, but he loved... I mean, Keith has a certain thing that maybe, you know, Chuck Berry kind of had a way, in a way, but mm. if you think of Keith as a kind of vaguely cruder version of Chuck Berry, mm. you know, Keith is a wonderful way of playing that Mick Taylor obviously really enjoyed. And if you think mm. of all the other work that Mick Taylor's done, nothing comes anywhere close yeah, yeah, yeah. to that. That's right, yeah. Really. You and know he, I mean? you know, and he was younger than them, so he was yeah. the, you know, so, th and that already achieved a level of quite enormous fame. So he was yeah. the new person coming yeah. into, and, and obviously coming in in quite, um, in quite a bunch of different sets of extraordinary circumstances. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, his, his first gig is Hyde Park, isn't it? Is that his yeah. first time it on was, stage? Yeah, it was. I mean, I, think, I don't think Mick handled him very well. Mm. Mick uh, Jagger, you know, Mick. Mm. I mean, for a start, they didn't fucking pay him. That hurt, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Hello, you know what I mean? <laughs> Come and work for me and not pay me. It didn't fucking pay me either. Yeah. I mean, Mick, but that was because, you know, at that time, the Rolling Stones were being, you know, robbed blind by Klein. Yeah, I yeah. mean, he owns, up, up to Exile on Main Street, Alan Klein owns every yeah. single thing, everything. Yeah. That's uh, mechanicals, uh, royalties, uh, performance rights, everything. He owns it all, publishing, the lot, yeah, all of it. They don't get a fucking penny. You buy a Rolling Stones record from prior to Exile on Main Street, they get nothing. Mm. It's played on radio, they get nothing. That was the deal to get rid of Klein at the end of it. That's mm. one of the reasons why they worked so hard in the 70s. They mm, had to. Mm, mm, mm. They need the starting, fucking money. Yeah, starting so over. From scratch, basically. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? So, yeah, so Mick Taylor fell between those two stools. You yeah, know yeah. I mean? I mean, Mick maybe, maybe, I say maybe, because Mick's tighter than a duck's ass, which is watertight, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Maybe Mick wanted to pay him, but, you know, he certainly didn't end up with any money. Mm. I mean, Mick Taylor was always fucking, you know, broke, mm. you know what I mean? And then, of course, you know, he got into the dread, dread heroin, mm. and it fucked him. Mm. Yeah, it fucked him for years, and it took him years to get over it, you know, and... Uh, yeah, he's he's not. He wasn't what, what you'd call a big boy. I mean, mm. He wasn't. A, he's not a tough guy. Mm. Keith's tough. Keith, yeah. you know, Keith is a tough motherfucker. You know what I mean? And Mick Taylor's not that kind of person at all. Mm. So he was ill, ill equipped to go down the same road that people like Ronnie or Keith yeah. Yeah. can go and, and can handle. And uh, I don't think he had the, um, you know, the self-discipline or self-control yeah. that those guys could bring to bear, or, or in a sense, the viciousness. Well, what was Charlie's gift then? Because he, uh, I mean, I know he had a late, he was a late bloomer to heroin and had a, you know, he went off the but rails when he was bored yeah, later on. Charlie was very lucky, <laughs> yeah. because Charlie had Shirley, you know, yes, I was gonna she say just told him. She told him, you know, if you don't fucking uh, give it up, it's, yeah. it's that or me. Yeah. And Charlie loved her, and you yeah. know, so he only had a, a very brief flirtation with it, mm. as did Mick. Mm. You know, both of them, mm. right? Mick gave it up because he could sense that 
he had no control when he was into it and mixed like a complete control total freak. control freak. Yeah. He wants to control everything. So, yeah. But, you know, um, Keith, Keith didn't give a fuck, you know what I mean? He had no control, so what? You know what I mean? Mick was doing everything anyway. Mm. So, you know, Keith was happy to lose a, a decade or so, just mm. to whatever, you know? But he got pulled up by uh, the whole Canadian thing. And That's that, right. You know what I mean? That that would have was very perilously close to being the end of the band. Yes. Charlie, what kept Charlie together? What kept Charlie's together is that the strength of his personal relationship with Shirley, they've been together over 50 years, man, you know what mm. I mean? I think that. And I think the fact that as a, as a, um, as a man, he's up quintessentially English. Charlie, yes, yeah. You know? So, yeah. he's one of those people when, you know, the bombs are dropping and the bodies are fucking being blown up and God knows what's happening. Charlie would go, oh, God, what, this is frightfully upsetting. You know what I mean? <laughs> Rather than, fuck, run. You know what I mean? And yeah. Keith and Mick are more of the kind of Anglo-Americans yes. yeah. type, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Which I, I, I mean, in which kind of group I place myself. We're yeah. not really actually very English. The <laughs> yeah. English, you know what I mean, refuse to be kind of uh, uh, daunted in a yeah. sense by anything, even though they might be terrified, they never let on to it. Yeah. You know what I mean? So Charlie's a man of few words and, and, and certainly he's not got that kind of volcanic, volatile, kind of bubbling, yeah. emotional reality going on yeah. that Keith or uh, yeah. uh, Mick have, you know. So Hyde Park is also your introduction to the Stones in terms like in terms of working with them. Yeah. That's where you That's the relationship the starts. Show, yeah. show I did, although yeah. I knew Charlie and Yeah, Keith yeah, yeah, well, yeah. So well do you wanna do you wanna run through a little bit about before we get into the 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 this classic era of the Stones that we've I guess already started on, do you want to do you want to talk a little bit about how you got into the music industry, how you got into working well, with bands? Most of it's in my in, my, in the book. I mean, yeah, yeah, I know. But if someone's is, if by chance someone's listening, love and, love uh, made me get into the music business. Love mm, music. Mm. So I was very lucky in this respect that when I was loving music, you could you could become somebody that got involved with music. Yes. It, it, on a, just basically on a, on a voluntary basis. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, there was always room for somebody that was happy to carry an amplifier yeah, yeah, or yeah. do this or do that. Yeah. And, and the thing about the music business for me was, I mean, I started playing guitar when I was eight, you know, and had guitar lessons and all that stuff. Um, I quickly realised by the time I was about 12 that everybody wanted to be a guitar player. Yeah. Now, so my potential choice of being a guitar player struck me as being a really fucking dumb move. That's what everybody else wanted to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's the point? Yeah. You know what I mean? There can only be one Captain America or whatever, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. Or at that time, there can only be one Tommy Steele or whoever it was, you know what I mean? That happened to be the yeah. flavour of the day. And it was like, nah, that's not me. But my mother, as I said before, was a trade union organiser. So I was always very kind of plan orientated. My mother used mm. to say, well, you know, anybody can attack Russia, but you better have a good plan. <laughs> I just used to think, well, what's the plan? And it became apparent to me very early on, you know, that it was basically, it was chaotic. There wasn't much of a plan. So I started mm. asking questions to myself like, well, who decides what they wear? Who decides what they're going to look like? Who decides how much ticket prices mm. are going to be? 
who decides when the show's going to be, you know, start, when it's going to end, who decides what kind of equipment's going to be used, how do they work out what guitar they're going to play, a million and one different questions that were like organisational questions yeah, yeah, that yeah. I found interesting and, 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 and challenging, right? Most people didn't give a toss about that. Yeah, Most yeah. people wanted to be the guy that was on stage with the guitar pulling all the chicks. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, I didn't mind pulling chicks and all that. That was no problem. You know? <laughs> but it wasn't my, my, my primary concern. My mm. primary concern was to be involved with, with the, the organisation of gigs. That's what I, I yeah. felt needed doing. If only because most of the gigs I ever went to were very poorly organised. And, <laughs> and in those days, you know what I mean, everybody was smoking hash, drinking beers, you know, as young people do kind of thing. And organisation was always a kind of a vaguely dirty word. You know what I <laughs> yeah. mean? It wasn't really, you know, top of the list. Well, it was an industry that didn't know it was an industry in a sense too, well, wasn't indeed. it? Yeah, well, it wasn't. Yeah. I mean, in some respects, it wasn't an industry. Yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. It, it was be, almost fighting against being that. Yeah, it had to be made into an yes. industry. So, yeah. you know, whilst they were making cars, as it were, to continue mm. the metaphor, mm. they had to learn how to make cars where the wheels didn't drop off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? And uh, you know, you had to learn that artists can't go on stage when they're blind, stinking, fucking drunk, mm. and so on and so so forth. So, I, yeah, I was interested in the organisational aspects of it all. That's where I felt there was a weakness. Mm. You know what I mean? Plenty of people could play the guitar and plenty of people could do it together and plenty of people could uh, start bands, but they had no idea of, like, how to organise themselves. You mm. know I mean? Where you where are you going to live when you're in a band? How are you going to pay for a place to live? How are you going to get food? Da, 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 all these different things. You know, I mean, the Rolling Stones didn't know how to do it. Mm. They were living in Edith Grove and starving. Yeah, Steal- yeah. They were stealing beer, beer bottles and milk bottles and stuff, you know what I mean, mm. in order to survive. So they weren't making a very good fist of uh, <laughs> doing it, you mm, know what I mean? Mm. So, But what out of that kind of, you know, out of, out of that uh, inadequacy, you know, needs must if the devil drives. It, it became the 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 realization that planning mm. is necessary, mm. and out of the realization that planning is necessary came the reali- further realizations like, well, there's no good, you know, playing somewhere if nobody knows about the fact that you're doing it. Mm. Well, how do you tell people? How do you let people know that you're going to be? playing down the road in that pub in Ealing or whatever. How does that, how do you do that? You know what I mean? So from mm. that, eventually, of course, sprang the whole thing of posters and, and handbills and word of mouth and advertising in student newspapers or street newspapers, all that stuff, mm. in, in, you know, evolved organically, if you like, in New Zealand, in, in England, in America, in Australia, all these, all these mm. places, music scenes... Uh, develop their own kind of momentum and their own way of being and their mm. own style from young people, um, you know, wanting to make it happen, wanting to make it happen better, wanting wanting to improve upon it, you know. Mm. So that that's where I came from. So I ran, mm. ran a folk club. I, I trained to be a teacher. And the whole time I was doing that, I was doing rock and roll shows, you know, and it was like basically in pubs and a few the few outdoor shows and stuff like that you know and it's mm. like yeah you know i got more money for doing one rock and roll show than i got for a week of teaching well so it, was like, it just didn't add up you know training to be a teacher might be the ultimate 
training ground for being a tour manager, right? It's just trading it for a different classroom and a different set of kids to look in after. A sense, and well, and I, also, I trained to deal with the children that had like uh, emotional yeah. issues, you mm-hmm. know, so that definitely assisted, <laughs> yeah, yeah. assisted yeah. in dealing with the wild yeah. members ran away, of the ran away from that, Ran away from that and then spent your life doing it, just yeah. in a different, yeah, completely you know, different context. So, yeah. But, you know, I think you have to be a certain kind of person anyway to be mm. a tour manager. I don't, you know, there's, I mean, I've met plenty of people who are not suitable as tour managers. Yeah. You know, um, one, of the, one of the things that you need to lack, in a sense, in, uh, to be a tour manager is sensitivity. Yes. You just have to realise, you know. You've got a set some, of deadlines and you've got well, to make them. Well, no, just, you know, if somebody's fucking going mental, mm. you know, it's not necessarily because of you. Mm. It might be because they're under lots of strain, the poor dear. <laughs> You know, so don't pay any attention to it. They'll yeah, yeah. Soon, they'll soon get over it. And if they don't get over it, fuck them. You know, that's not well, your that, problem. That's what I mean by deadlines. You've got like a stage time to adhere to. You've got an next city to get to. You've got, you well, know, the show must go on. Indeed. Yeah. In the final analysis, of course, that's what it's about. I mean, yeah. In uh, tour manager, in, in effect, is, is like a chef. Yes. You've got all the ingredients. Now yeah. you've got to mix it together in the right Serve order, <laughs> fry it in the oven. You know what I mean? And mm. produce something. Make it look good. Yeah, as Out well of as... It, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. There ain't, there's no good arriving with a band and three of them are dead. <laughs> you know I mean? You ain't going to have a show that way, are Yeah, you? yeah. Or three of them are desperately ill or two of them are, are so strung out they can't even go on stage or whatever, you know, all those different things. So you, there's, a, there's a, a requirement, you know, on the part of tour managers not only to, to deliver artists to, you know... Uh, um, of the place they're going to perform, mm. but to deliver them in good shape. Mm. That in itself, of course, you know, is an art in itself, you know, to keep, to deliver people so that they're in a good shape physically is not so difficult. All you've got to do is make sure they're fed and they've had some sleep, you know what I mean? Mm. But mm. to deliver artists to a place so that mentally they're in the right space. Mm. You know, mm. they're up for it. They want to do this. They mm. feel good about it. This is something they're they're into. Mm. You know, I mean, I just sometimes I've walked into dressing rooms, man. I've seen they're all sitting around. Look, they look like somebody's died. And I, I walked into a dressing room one time. I remember in Byron Bay in, in Australia. I can't. I won't say the band was. Then it was a famous band. They're all sitting there. They look like someone had died. Mm. I mean, can I ask a question? They all went, yeah. <laughs> I said. Why the fuck are you guys bothering to do this? Why don't you go and do something that's fun? That <laughs> you, you don't enjoy? look happy. Yeah. Why are you doing this? <laughs> oh, we mm. like it, man. We don't fucking look like it to me. <laughs> Tell you your know, face that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Really. I mean, that's one thing about the Rolling Stones. They were clever, the Rolling Stones. Mm. They've always been clever. They've, they've, um, they've kind of starved themselves of music just enough. Mm that when they finally get on stage to play and do that tour, they want to do it. Mm. They want to play. They're mm. up for it. I mean, one of the things that always amazed me about The Grateful Dead, amazed me, man. I mean, the first year I was with The Grateful Dead, we did 187 shows, right? The Grateful Dead always wanted to play. Mm. Always. Mm. Garcia used to moan like fuck if there was a day off when we were on tour and there wasn't a gig playing. Mm. And then he, he developed his own little band, the Jerry Garcia Band, 
to cover, yeah. to cover the days when the Grateful Dead were yeah. played. Amazing. That's all he wanted to do every yeah. fucking day, <laughs> 365 days a year, he wanted to play. So did everybody else in the band. I never heard anybody in the <laughs> four years that I was working flat out with the Grateful Dead. No one ever, ever said to me, oh man, we're working too much, I don't want to play. Mm. Never. They never said that, ever. It's Whereas the Stones, you know? Yeah. Oh, and they play, they're doing this thing in England now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do a few dates in England, a few dates in Ireland, that's all right. They won't do nothing for another six months. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, yeah, yeah. So the time they get around to playing again, they're hungry for it. Yeah, so yeah. that's the way. I mean, you know, there is no one size fits all in the music business, is there? No, People no. are different, you know? Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm sure Crowded House, you know what I mean? They play in a different way. Uh, yeah. Fleetwood Mac does it another way. Uh, the Floyd. Yeah. Well, the Florida got so much fucking money. I don't think they're even musicians anymore. They're realtors. Well, they just, just invest in property. Actually, you know? just read about the um, drummer Nick Mason. Just yeah, yeah he's well. just well, he's just put together a band that plays only very early Pink Floyd, and it was an, an amazing review of a show they did just a couple of nights ago. Like they don't play past um, metal. That's just it's just stuff from the sixties. And yeah. um, because and, you're bored with the other shit. Well, also people haven't heard it, you know, no. in terms of, well, there's still people discovering yeah. it, it's a different thing, and, and they never played it live, yeah. and yeah, it's probably yeah. to get away with... with uh, See Emily play and all Yeah, that, that sort of stuff, yeah. which was great stuff. Now, well, let's go to 1969, because um, it strikes me that, in terms of the Rolling Stones, it, it kind of, it's bookended by free shows. Um, the Hyde Park and then Altamont, yeah. and... and, and both of those shows have uh, are problematic, but um, for different reasons. And both of them have uh, a shadow of death around them. And it's your, the start of your association with the band. Uh, and you mentioned like when they start doing when they start rehearsing for the '69 tour of the states after the Hyde Park show. They haven't really got their shit together because they haven't played. It's not going well. All Keith wants to do is hang out with Graham Parsons by the sounds. That's yeah. that's where his energy is at. Yeah. Um, so the mood is uh, difficult to, to to cut through. And you, you, you talk in the book about the Stones being a great sort of deadline band. They'll, you know, if they need to do something, they'll stay up all night the night before. They're like the kid with the homework assignment. They get it done a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the Stones did that tour because, in a sense, it well, in fact, it was forced on them. Right. They had to do it. Yeah. They had no money. The record company was going fucking ballistic. Yeah. You know, I mean, they couldn't get money out of the record company mm. without doing the tour. They, you know, they're over a barrel. They had to do it. Mm. There was no doubt about that. Mm -hmm. They couldn't do it with Brian because Brian had so many busts they wouldn't get, they wouldn't get uh, into the states. Yeah. But I mean. Conveniently forgetting. That, that problem you know, sorted itself out. Conveniently forgetting, yeah. of course, that both Mick and Keith had, had, had arrest records. Yes, yes. Right? Are they going to the States? Mm. Huh. Well, <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm. The less said about that, the, the better. But I can assure you that wasn't fucking, uh, you know, legal. Mm. That mm. was done uh, through various little sneaky moves. You know what I mean? <laughs> and, uh, yeah. So they had to do that. Yeah, them. yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, that was when uh, Mick, when Mick had this kind of sardonic attitude to country music, but Keith was <coughs> much more into it. And Graham and Keith were having this kind of uh, bro bromance, yes, as they call it. Yeah. You know what I mean? And yeah. they were deeply into uh, 
uh, playing the piano together, you know, sitting at the piano learning country songs. Yeah. And really learning country songs rather than, mm. you know, um, uh, kind of taking the mickey out of them, being deeply involved. You know? I wonder if Mick ever got over that kind of cynical, um, you know, approach to country music. Well, I think, in some you know, ways he did that. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, Sweet Virginia is an amazing yes, track. Yes, it is. But then the I see that and I raise you, girl, with the faraway eyes. You know, like I wonder if he, uh, you know. Yeah, I mean, he's not, you know, Mick's not from Kentucky. Yeah, yeah. He, he does a pretty good uh, imitation yeah, of, yeah. of being from uh, the South. I think, yeah, I mean, I don't I think that there's no question that their sound is country tinged and oh I think I think know. some surprised it hasn't officially been done but somewhere in there there's a fantastic Rolling Stones country album that could be cobbled together from you know the country version well, of Honky Tonk Woman and the, right, the right greatest, through the greatest cover version of a Rolling Stones song ever in my mind but it's done by Alden in the way and it's a bluegrass version of Wild Horses mm. you ever heard that yeah yeah well that, I mean that's with that's, Peter Rowan yes Fantastic. And that's getting to you know that's that's obviously the Grand Parsons thing. That's getting towards a country song, definitely to begin with. Definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it just lends yeah. itself to being further dressed yeah, up. Yeah, but that I mean, way. And, and of course, yeah. you know, any, I mean, all of these songs, you know, be they black blues or white blues, mm. as it were, are all in a sense able to be done as either country or bluegrass numbers. Mm. You know what I mean? That would be a great album. But I mean. There's not much hay in doing Rolling Stones covers as an album mm. project, really. Mm. I mean, yeah, especially given that Abco own, owns everything. True. Up, up to <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Fucking uh, um, Exile on Main Street. Yeah, you know? yeah. So by the time they play the second show, they get their shit together. Much, much more to. Well, each show. It Gets becomes, better. Yeah, each show becomes a kind of. Capsule where they start right. off sounding ragged yep. and work hard, and by yep. the third or fourth number, They're it's there. really starting to come together, you know. And I think that's part of their attraction, yeah. You know, yeah, you yeah. don't start off being perfect, it's not the Eagles, so it's like, you know, yeah, no yeah. perfect from word go. It starts off, in fact, even every number, if you look at the way the Rolling Stones play, actually, what happens is. Start, you know, the first thing that happens is they establish a beat with Charlie, mm. and then you know it goes from there, kind mm. of thing. So, you know, Charlie sometimes can be a little bit, whoop, you know what I mean? So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> getting that right becomes mm. the first thing that gets settled down, and then you know they can start. Well, even the official document from 69 Yayas is, is, you know, it's one of the great live records. It kind, in a way, it kind of Definitely. again invents the live rock and roll record, but um, it's not, it's not. Um, a perfect record and that's what's so great about it yeah but you see that's yeah. again yeah, yeah exactly I mean who wants a perfect band? no you can you, you can hear them finding their groove on yeah. that record yeah. yeah and you want I mean you know the bands that people love are the bands that where people go fuck I want to play that mm. not oh that's perfect I could never play that mm. it's more like you know stuff that they want to go down the pub or wherever or mm. go down go down their basement and then and, and have a go at the, have a go at it themselves mm. you know mm. no, I mean the, the and I think that 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 I mean when you think about getting yayas out how many live albums were there available mm. before that yeah 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 in 1969 yeah that was a very brave album man. yeah certainly not in rock and roll you know no. jazz records I don't know blues, any but I don't know 
Yeah. Tell me a live album. Yeah. From well, that, prior to 1969, I can't think of one. Again, it created... There must have been them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Grateful Dead did one. Yeah. I mean, I know The Grateful Dead did a live album. Yeah. Uh, the first MC5 record is a live record. Okay. You know, there's a few, but they're not of the stature of the Stones. They're no, not but, bands but, of that stature. but just as I'm saying, as, yeah, a, yeah. as an approach, yeah. the... The, you know, the, the and again, it creates that template of the the live album being the tour souvenir, you know, yeah. which the Stones have done yeah. ever since. Yeah. You know, I mean, and and, and now everyone does that. There's still, well, there's still not that many live albums, man. Mm. You know what, people, musicians are generally reluctant to do live albums because they know they're not that good. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? But I mean, I haven't listened to the Grateful Dead. I've got I've got it at home. <laughs> yeah, <coughs> it's seventy two CDs. Yeah. Of a whole two month long <laughs> yeah. tour, yeah, all of it, yeah. Now that's the difference, mm. and it's fucking unbelievable. Mm. I mean, the band was just so hot and together mm. and tight, mm. and you know what I mean, and mm. advanced. So you know, musically, the Rolling Stones managed to do one single live album. Yeah, right. That's what they managed to yeah. do in yeah. live. Musically, the Grateful Dead managed to do seventy-two <laughs> yeah. live yeah. albums. Yeah. That's just that's just the Europe seventy two yeah yeah tour album yeah tour, yeah uh, yeah right? they also did many I think they've done maybe thirty four live albums yeah before and since then yeah yeah so and, pretty and amazing and expanded versions coming out all the time oh, now with extra yeah. tracks yeah, and yeah, and, yeah. and and then there's the yeah. bootlegs which they yeah. wanted people to do and yeah. enabled so, um, but it's very very rare for a, a sure. rock and roll band in a kind of the purest sense which. The Grateful Dead I don't consider to be a rock and roll band in, yeah. in a classical sense, whilst the Stones are. Very rare for a rock and roll band like the Stones to do yeah. that. And uh, and uh, it's always, I mean, it's held up to this day as being yeah. one of the finer examples. Yeah. I just wish they'd pay me for it. <laughs> I, mean, you know, I always say that with tongue in cheek, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, good fucking luck. Now, we're mates, you know, it doesn't really worry if, me anymore, if, yeah. if people don't know this about the that tour, like if you know if people hadn't grown up and found their way to that record and read about it, it's it's this extraordinary tour where BB King is on the bill, which I was playing when you came in. Amazing, um, I can Tina Turner, yeah. Turner, and even Terry Reed, Terry Reed who is Terry. kind of a footnote in a way in, in rock history and and one of what one of the more unlucky souls. Terry, Terry Reed, <laughs> very unlucky. Yeah. Terry Reed was one of the greatest vocals. Yeah. That England ever produced. Yeah. He was supposed to be in Led Zeppelin. That's right. That's right. And uh, and he, I think, one like of Terry's great mistakes. Yeah, not, not, yeah. Not, yeah, not know, so. Yeah, not going for that because he was frightened of what's his name, the manager. Yeah, yeah. Well, who wasn't? Well, yeah. <laughs> Peter Grant. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. look. Um, I knew him well. I mean, I wasn't frightened of him, but then he never, you know. Yeah, but you. I wasn't working for him. No, and, 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 and he didn't want anything from me. No, and you were on the level with him because you guys were in the same yeah, I mean, sphere. I, yeah, you were I mean, doing the same thing. I knew all those guys. Who yeah, were and I mean, I, I knew. Uh, but you'd understand why people were frightened of him. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I knew. I, yeah. I knew Robert and, and Paige. Since, I mean, I knew Paige since he was sixteen years old. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm. I've known him forever. He came to my book launch in London. He was sweet. He was there for four hours. Mm. Good man, lovely mm. man. You know what I mean? It's like yeah, but uh, yeah. It's like all these people, you know, some people go, oh, fucking hell, man, oh, they were so heavy. Well, yeah, I guess they are if you, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, if you have to do business with them. I yes. mean, I never chose to do business business with them or needed to do business yeah. with them. So I was, 
I was cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know I mean? So the 69 tour goes all right. It gets better and better. The shows get better and better. And then they make this announcement to do well, it. Well, they lumbered along. I don't, yeah. I, I don't think it goes all right. I mean, the big thing about the 69 tour was the, the, the Rolling Stones were only interested in one thing, mm-hmm. was getting the fucking money and yeah. not letting Alan Klein have it. Right, yeah, yeah. That's what that tour yeah. was about. They yeah. needed money desperately. Yeah. yeah. So that's what they did. But it... You know, know what I'm saying? So I don't think sure. it wasn't happy the Mafia were trying to take it over. I mean, as you read in mm, my book. Mm, but in, my book. Yeah, yeah, but in hindsight, it, it, it's it's weird that the thing that is, and I guess this is true of, of many situations, the thing that was perhaps almost the breaking of the band is, is it becomes entirely the making of the band. It's the it's It sets up everything the Rolling Stones go on to do Indeed. afterwards. A, and it draws the line, right? Yeah. And I guess it defines... A huge part of of your life and your career and who yeah. you are and what you do. I mean, you've, you've but I mean, if they hadn't done that mm, tour, mm. I don't think the Rolling Stones would have survived as no, a band. No, I mean, and the interesting thing, of course, is you know, if Keith does stuff on his own with the expensive winos or mm. whatever like that, mm. they don't make any money. I mean, mm. Keith's solo album, which was a great mm. album, yeah. in a way, has sold. 60,000 copies. Mick's solo album didn't sell 100,000 copies worldwide. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and they had all, you know, Joe Sastriani, some of the, sh- the most yeah. shit-hot players in the history of the music business. Nothing. Yeah. Bands are funny, man. Bands are to do with a kind of, you know, uh, uh, emotional tension between mm. the people. You know, Mick and Keith, they, can, they can't work out whether they're brothers, whether they love one another, whether yep. they hate one another, you know, yeah. whether they think one another are assholes, what? It's just, yeah, constant, yeah. just like uh, Lennon and McCartney. Yeah, it's yeah. Constant kind of bromance thing that's yes. going on. Yes. There's a constant that battle, they... and that translates into musical terms, you know, there's always this kind of tension yeah. that's inherent in the creative process. Without that, yeah. You might as well go and make money, you know, make fucking music with whoever. It doesn't mm. matter. Nothing, it ain't going to have that edge. Mm. You know what I mean? Um, that's, I mean, it's, it's been the same for the, the Grateful Dead and so many bands that I've played with. The, I mean, the band, classical mm. example, wonderful playing together. Listen to what Robbie Robertson does on his own. It's mm. like, oh, my God. Fucking, <laughs> you know what I mean? Painful. Uh, the Allman Brothers, together, amazing. You know, individual their individual projects, boring as fucking batshit. Yeah, yeah. No real creative <laughs> tension or energy yeah. involved, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How many times have you watched Gimme Shelter? Fuck. Hundreds. <laughs> and can you remember, I mean, you, you were there, you were in it. Can you remember when you first saw the finished film and, and your yeah. reaction to the finished film? And, well, and I thought it was bullshit. Because, right. I mean, here's the thing, right, okay? There's a guy goes to a, gun, a concert. He's got a gun. He fires two shots off, right, uh, in front of the stage. Uh, he gets stabbed to death by the Hells Angels. Right, you can make a film about this. They did make a film mm. about it, right? This film could have said, aren't the Hells Angels incredibly wonderful, beautiful people? Look at this. They saved the Rolling Stones' life. Yeah. You know what I mean? How brave of them. Yeah. It didn't say that, did it? No. Right, so we know what it said, right? So as soon as I saw it, I knew before I saw it that what would happen would be that it would, it would follow a predetermined path, you know, which is mm. why when I 
I'm involved with it being shown. I always talk to the audience prior to it being shown yeah. and point out that there are alternative yes. storylines that you could weave yes. given the same footage yes. you know, that's available to you. You know, you can make it this, you can make it that, you know. Mm. So it's interesting that what they did was they just they, they determined oh, what we're gonna do is we're gonna show this film. There was all these horrible Hells Angels, what a what a bunch of pigs, you know, blah 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 yeah, blah. They yeah. behave like this, they behave like that. And in the end of course they could have murdered someone. That was inevitable that, that would happen, kind of thing, you know what I mean? Mm. And it's all that satanic kind of rolling stone, you know, the yeah, subtext yeah. is it's yes. those satanic rolling stones types uh, fault. They, they, you know, they were, they did all that. Yeah, yeah. Well, bollocks, it wasn't, it was nothing to do with the rolling stones. It was the Grateful Dead who organised the whole fucking thing, not mm. the rolling stones, for example, mm. right? It was the Grateful Dead who wanted to play with the rolling stones who first came up with the idea of doing a free concert. And it was the Grateful Dead who got Crossfree Stills and Nash and got got all the other people, yeah, Santana, Santana yeah. all those people involved in playing. Yeah. So the Rolling Stones, the band, arrived like the day before. I arrived four days before. And the whole thing was organised out of, the, of the, the Grateful Dead's office by Rock Scully from the Grateful Dead, who was their record manager you know mm. dealing with all their recordings and all that stuff and one of their managers uh what's his name michael lang that mm. did woodstock mm. who miraculously melted from uh, the narrative as soon as it all went pear shape <laughs> yes, and yes. was never seen again yeah you know what i mean <laughs> yeah whereas you know he was quite uh, quite happy to take uh all, all, all the all, accolades when all they were the being served up, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so, you know, it's just a joke. So, yeah, the film, yeah, everyone says what a wonderful film it is. I don't think it's a wonderful film. I, I think, in fact, with the benefit of hindsight, perhaps, but not for me, because I was there. I mean, the day after the show, I went to see all the presidents of all the Hells Angels in California, <coughs> all their different chapters. Mm. So that wasn't a very pleasant meeting, but uh, you know what I mean? <laughs> no. the, the, the reality of the situation is, you know, in life, people are only too fucking happy to go, yeah, man, I did that. Wasn't it fucking great? Yeah, that was me. I did that. Uh, you know, I'm responsible for that. People are only too happy to take um, responsibility for the, you know, the great triumphs, if you like, mm. or the little triumphs, mm. whatever you call it, you know. Mm. But they're not so happy to take responsibility for the part they played in disasters. Yeah. So I stayed behind, you know, I, I could have left. I could have gone back to England, you know, no problem, just get on a fucking plane. But I I felt that somebody should be there and deal with it. You know, it sounds like your mother's work ethic. Well, in a sense, in. if you create shit, deal with the shit. Yeah. You create good things, you know what I mean? Bask in the accolades, whatever. But you, so you can't have one without the other. No, you can't, you know, you're it's not, not, being not a honest. tour manager is yeah. not always, you know, wonderful fun. Well, I'm, sure, it's, I'm it's, sure whole tours go by where it's not at all for people. It's desperate, man. It's yeah. desperate. But you know, you, that's part of the gig. You deal with you deal with what confronts you, what what's in front of you. You know, so people get killed. Well, you got to deal with it. I didn't fucking kill anyone. I didn't stab anyone. I didn't feel any particular guilt about any of it. So you know, mm. I went to see the Hell's Angels the day after. It was. I didn't go in there going, "Oh, I'm." Terribly sorry about what happened. Eh? <laughs> what a frightful mess. Mm. I don't give a fuck. I didn't do it. Mm. Right, you know what I mean? It just needs sorting out. It needs sorting out. You know, the old, old adage, if you're not a part of the solution, you've got to be part of the problem. Mm. What is the problem? How are we going to identify it? How are we going to fix it? Mm. Or can we fix it? 
should we all fuck off and hide or what? You know what I mean? <laughs> Hello, yeah, yeah. you know what I mean? So, yeah, it's um, it's important in life to to identify, you know, where you're going to choose to act and equally important to identify where you're going to choose not to act. You know, this is mm. what karma's about. Karma's about volitional action, what you will to happen by virtue of your own intellect. It, it, it could be said that it takes you 40 years to process Altamont because that's rough, you know, that's when the book comes out. Um, but you obviously get up and address it the next day. When do you feel that you're out of it in that some sense? it will finally be over? <laughs> well, yeah, I was going to say, first of all, yeah, when do you feel it will finally be over? I guess that ball's slightly more in your court now. But but going back to 69, 1970, you're, you're, you're left to address it and you do address it. When do you... I mean, I know, I know we'll get to, like, there's another film that I think is a better film than Give Me Shelter Festival Express that took a while to come out, yeah. and you're involved in that, and yeah. that's a, an interesting kettle mm. of fish, that tour, and then you go to The Grateful Dead. So things obviously do happen for you, but when do they start happening for you after Altamont? They never stopped. Yeah, right. They never stopped, man. I mean, things don't stop. I mean, you know, I, uh, I mean, I was an orphan. My family were killed mm. in the Second World War, you know. You can't un-orphan yourself. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. you, and there's a range of options you got, you know, to deal with it. You know what I mean? You, you know, you get, I was adopted. I, I was very lucky. I was adopted by good people. They didn't, you know, mm. didn't, I was never hit as a child. Everything was, if, anything, if I complained about anything, it would be that everything was explained to me in laborious detail, <laughs> as if I was 18 years old and I was only seven. You know what I mean yeah. at the time, yeah. kind of thing. So, yeah, I mean, no complaints. You know, what I mean, I was a lucky boy. Um, and so, you know, I think my life, in my life, I've always, I've always tried to be accepting of what's happened to me. I don't sit there going, oh, fuck, I wish that hadn't happened, or you know what I mean. I don't mm. live in any kind of a regret. Mm. This is what happened. This is what needs to be dealt with because it happened. You deal with it as best you can. And if people don't like it, well, tough titty. Sorry, <laughs> I did my best. I don't have any, you know what I mean? Mm. Like, mm. I don't have any kind of um, chintzy kind of attitude to my own contribution. I don't, I tr you know, I hopefully I don't inflate my own contribution to things. And it's equally at the same time, I don't, uh, you know, diminish my own my own um, responsibility for things with any kind of false sense of modesty. Mm, mm. I'm proud of a lot of the things I did. I mean, I did Watkins Glen, had 620,000 paid admissions at it. Mm. Okay, that don't, you know what I mean, you don't just fucking pull that out of the air. Mm. These things take a lot of time, a lot of energy, and a lot of manipulative energy, mm. if you like, in mm -hmm. getting a whole fucking <laughs> range of people to persuade a whole range of people that the, 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 the project that you want to do is a good project. Yeah. And by the way, would you mind putting up three and a half million dollars to do it? Yeah. Of your money, which I'll spend <laughs> and I'll show you how to spend it. Yeah. Etc. You know what I mean? So these things, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I, I don't have any kind of false approach to, to my own involvement in things. I, I mean, I'm careful to... Um, be quote quote suitably modest. 
yes. you know, about things that I've done that I could maybe claim, you know, major kind of kudos for. Mm. And on other things, I'm I'm absolutely black and white demanding of credit for what I did mm. because I fucking did it and mm. nobody else did it. And you know what? I did it because I fucking loved the people involved and I knew what I was fucking doing and half of them didn't have a fucking clue. Yeah. <coughs> yeah. Have you seen um, um, Long Strange Trip? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I'm all yeah. over that. I'm yeah. all over that for no reason. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. It's because the guy who made the film came to see me and yeah. went, Sam, I made this film, you know what I mean? And I knew him through friends yeah. of mine. <coughs> we, we went there got high together actually to begin with we went out a trip and we were hanging out there and he's talking about his film we wanted to talk about his film and we got high and it's like you know well i got the film you know I don't know, and we talked a lot about it and i said i think the best thing to do is you should show it to me yeah you know oh, well it's only a rough cut so far you know and i don't know where it's going to go okay show it to me and then i can fucking express an opinion yeah <coughs> so i sat there God, how At that many, point, it was about seven and a half. I was about, just going to say, how many days long was the rough seven cut? And a half hours long. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What's he get it down to? About four and a half, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And at the end of it all, you know, we we agreed I'd, we'd meet the next day, and he asked mm. me what I thought about it. What you know, what I would do with it if you know if it was my film, kind of thing. Mm. I said, well, I put me in it, <laughs> and why? You know, I said because most of the people that are in it haven't got a fucking clue. Yeah. And they don't know how to talk about things. I mean, mm. that's just the other thing, you know what I mean? People going, wow, man, yeah. <laughs> wow, it was really far out. Yeah, the Grateful Dead played. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> it doesn't really make for, mm. you know what I mean, mm. the most gripping of films. And it certainly don't sustain four and a half hours of movie. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it, it needed somebody that brought it back to earth. Yeah. And I... I'm, if you like, that's the kind of person I am. I'm, whilst I've maybe done six, seven hundred, eight hundred acid trips in my life, I'm also very feet on the ground kind of person, practical, you know. And so that's what I dealt with in that film was, you know, what was going on, how did it happen, what the role of planning, dreadful uh, <laughs> phrase and word, you know what I mean? Yeah. What all that, how that... Definition of it stretched yeah, that bad, no fit, doubt. <laughs> fitted into, you know, mm. this mad scene mm. and what, you know, what role it played. And um, Well, I thought it was a great film. I mean... Yeah, it, but that made it, the film concrete because yes. it, it gave the two polarities of hedonistic excess and on the one side plus, you know, planning and control, if you mm. like, on the other, mm. and somewhere in the middle, this floating miasma of creative musicianship. Mm. And so it just tied the whole thing what, what's together, his, you know? What's his name? He's in the film. Is it Dennis McNally? McNally, Who was their publicist. But he or wrote a marvellous book. I was going to say, yeah. I loved his book. I read that yeah. some years ago, and I, I well, assume you um, read that. Yeah, his book on the beats yes. was fabulous. Yeah, yeah. That's he, what gave, that got him into the Grateful Dead yeah, or the yeah. Grateful Dead liked him Jerry yeah. liked him because Jerry read the book on yeah, the yeah, beats and, yeah. and McNally yeah, yeah I, I mean, mean he's a good he writer he's a good writer he didn't he didn't get everything right yeah but you know but that's storytelling right you that's can't, his, you yeah. can't you know what I mean it's like writing the history it, of New Zealand man yeah yeah you know what I mean you ain't gonna get it all right and some people might go well that's fucking wrong and that's just flat you know what I mean whatever yeah, 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 you know yeah. what I mean it's yeah. like this is huge yeah. thing that you're trying to encompass 50 years of a band like the Grateful Dead of course you're not gonna get it all right but so by you, and large very, very soulful very spiritual cat and also you know 
a member of the family, which I'm mm. you know proud to call myself the Grateful Dead. To be a member of the Grateful Dead family, uh, you pay in psychedelic blood, mate. You know what I mean? Yeah, you, yeah. You've fucking been to some very, very special, deep places. You know, uh, we in in you know in concert with everybody else. Mm. You know, mm. sometimes. 600,000 people. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes <laughs> yeah. only a few people. But yeah. very deep places. You yeah, know. your relationship with the Grateful Dead, I guess, starts with Altamont. Uh, with Altamont. That's really yeah, where know, you I've, connect I've, with them. No, them. I've been to shows. I went to shows before that. Right, so you, you were uh, a fan. And got, and got, uh, suited, got dose. Yeah. Got high and, yeah. and, you know, yeah, but, but Rock Scully. But that was as a reveler. Like, that was as someone, well, you know. Uh, yeah, as a reveler. As a yeah, fan, yeah, yeah. as yeah. someone, you know, seeking the concert experience. But in terms of getting to know them, Properly, it's through preparations for that ultimate well, show, know, kind yeah. of. I yeah, mean, a, you could, yeah, yeah, you could be existential about it. Sure. Where you never get to know them, really. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that was the beginning of a long, strange trip. Yeah. That was my beginning. Yeah, yeah. But the, I mean, the extraordinary thing about the Grateful Dead, of course, is you know they they go from 1966 to yeah. now. Yeah. So it's been a very long, strange trip. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean, it's yeah. Like each person's. Uh, brings to it there you know you've, it's a bit like your contribution to the you know the history of the tribe there's this tribe you know and maybe they were in the desert mm. in Egypt or something and they escaped from there and you know finally make it to Jerusalem or whatever and whatever you know the kind of Jewish uh, metaphor you know mm. and here's the Grateful Dead you know who you know were in San Francisco and uh, then it was subject to the the hippie diaspora, mm. you know, and left left San Francisco to go out into the world, oh, and that was the period, you know, the kind of death of hippie in the 1968-69, when people left San Francisco and people were were of, of my generation were working out what should we do? Well, let's let's go to Colorado and we'll start a farm and we'll become self-sufficient. Or whatever. Let's go mm. to Oregon, and in England, people are going. Let's go to Wales. Let's go to Ireland, and mm. in uh, in uh, Australia, people are going. Okay, well, we'll go to Nimbin. Mm. And we'll save the forests in Nimbin, and we'll, we'll start communes. And same in New Zealand, I'm sure. You know, the get out of the city. Separate, and... separate kind of experiences mm. in each nation. Mm. Nonetheless, at that time, you know, young people were looking for to create their own alternative mm. to you know what they they couldn't relate to let's mm. say you know mm. what I mean so that yeah so we you know the Grateful Dead the amazing thing about the Grateful Dead or many amazing things but one of the amazing things about the Grateful Dead has been the generosity of the people and the trust and faith of the people in the band to, that have allowed so many fucking complete utter lunatics, <laughs> of which I put myself, you know, yeah. as part and parcel of that lot, yeah. you know, to allow them, yeah. you know, to have their hands on the fucking pillar and steer the boat this yeah. way and that way. The but, ship of fools, as, uh, you know, as a hunter calls the great mm, dead, you know. Mm. And, uh, yeah, to, you know, if you... If you had a big, big enough mouth and a, a good enough idea, the Grateful Dead would probably go for it. You know what I mean? And so, <laughs> well, yeah. you know, as I said, you're involved with the Stones and the tour that really makes them really Europe 72 is the is 
pinnacle for the Grateful Dead, in right? Many, in many ways. In many that, ways. Well, and then there's Working Man's oh, Dead. So absolutely. But, but I mean, and if you're going to say, if someone's going to say to you, I never really got the Grateful Dead, where do I start? Europe 72 is a good place to good point place. them. because yeah, Because the songs are there and the history is already there. They've been a band for five yeah. or six years. But that's the the real first true document of the live experience and as much yeah. as it can be to translate yeah, I mean I start people with you know working men's sure. dead yeah 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 American beauty working dead, which is interesting is that I mean Garcia Garcia and I were talking one time you know Jerry's like well, why don't we ever make any money from, from records uh, well because you fucking spend it all <laughs> uh, what well you know you do live dead you know what I mean and you spend $300,000 in the fucking studio learning how to make an album. Yeah. And fucking around and let's record Thick Air or whatever, you know what I mean? Like, hello. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's your money, Jerry, right? You just didn't get it. That money that you just spent recording that whole thing, right, is an advance on your future income. Yeah. That's why you get no money from yeah. records because you, whilst you might have earned $300,000 from that record in record sales, you fucking already spent it. <laughs> Hello, you know what I mean? Wake up. So then it was more like, okay, now we've established what the, the problem is. Yeah. We've identified the problem. What's the solution? Okay. Well, the solution is to fucking learn the song. First off, write the songs up front. Secondly, Learn the songs yeah. up front. <laughs> Thirdly, rehearse the songs up front. Then go in the studio and record the, the, the album in a completely different way. And by the way, Jerry, have you ever had a decent line of coke? Try this. Oh, <laughs> fuck, right now. Okay, bang. Go in the fucking uh, studio, right? Record drums, bass, and rhythm guitar together. First time ever been done. Mm. That's what they did, right? Then you can add vocals and Garcia lead guitar as overdubs. And that's what they did. And they recorded Working Man's Dead in 21 days. Mm. Done. Mm. And some would say it sounds like it, but it doesn't because it's like tight, man, it's together. Mm. And you just have that thing of like, yeah, it feels like that. Everybody knows what they're fucking doing. You know what I mean? Well, they're, they're all subscribing to the kind of the musical master plan. It's that special kind of album where if you're a Grateful Dead fan, you love it. It might be the record that makes you a Grateful Dead fan. But I know it's a record you can hand to people who would consider themselves not to be a Grateful Dead fan and not looking to be, and they'll still appreciate it as a great record. Yeah, they dig it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. They can get on board for that yeah. and maybe one or two other things. Yeah. And obviously they're a hard band to, like, in terms of the enormity of what's there, they're a hard band coming to them now for well, some people I to mean, get on board with. I mean, the reality with The Grateful Dead is, is you'll dig The Grateful Dead depending on what drugs you're taking when you're listening to it. You know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? Yeah. I mean, it's not made, you know, for the local priest to yeah. listen to. Yeah. It's made for people to get high to. The It's made by people that get high for people that get high. I, I wanna... So if you're not that kind of person, you're going to have a hard time digging it. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if this is trite or not and whether you've thought about this and been asked about this way too many times perhaps, but when I, when I knew I was going to talk to you, I wanted to get your thoughts on Keith and Jerry as being you know, people that 
a lot of people would think you couldn't get two more dissimilar people, but there's a lot of similarities. Oh, really? in, yeah, I mean, they're both American them, musicians. And they're both um, kind of, you know, reluctant or anti-guitar heroes, but they've been very influential. Yeah. Uh, both, both... Um, drag, I mean, I think you know? they, I wouldn't put them in the same no, no, class no, no. But, because... No, but I mean, they're I not... Mean, they're both... They both they're give different. Yeah, but they both give a lot to... To the guitar and to people that are interested, but they're not the first people on the list as any sort of you know great guitarist, guitar hero. But I mean, they... for me, for me, the by far and away the heaviest guitar player that I have ever come across in the music business is Garcia by a Country Mile. Yeah. Well, yeah, because he's so fluid, mm. so interesting, mm. always wanting to play things in a different way, always being wanting to explore. Mm. Amazing, mm. amazing. Oh, I love his playing. His, his playing's like um, often like you know saxophone solos to me more yeah, than guitar exactly. solos. That real unafraid exploratory. To, unafraid, to, yeah. unafraid to go wherever the the music might lead you. Keith, diff, diff, completely different mm. kettle of fish, mm. but Keith, you know, a vibe player mm. to establish the, the the groove and the vibe and and get to that place on a on a you know an ensemble. Basses, amazing, amazing, great bass player too. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and um, yeah, I mean, people forget that Jerry was a very fluid pedal steel player mm. and a very fluid banjo player, mm. a great acoustic guitar player and a great electric guitar player. Mm. Difficult. And a great, um, a great songbook. You know, a great, a great. Uh, Songwriter. Not songwriter, but also a great compiler of other people's songs in no, terms the of what he did. Wrote two thousand eight hundred yeah. songs. Yeah. Hello. <laughs> Fuck. But then he probably covered five thousand by other people Indeed. too. Is what I Indeed. mean. Like so, he had massive. that too. Massive, you know? mate. Massive. Some of the best Dylan covers I've heard are from the like when you were talking about the, the Jerry, Jerry Garcia band. band. Yeah, yeah, yeah because yeah. Um, because he gives them um, space musically. Yeah. You know, like where a but lot of when people. When he played with Dylan. It was. I found it incredibly disappointing. Yes, I yeah. It was the most, you know, self-indulgent shit I'd ever imagined. It should have and been. It, should have been great, but wasn't. Or something yeah, like that. Yeah, so, yeah but yeah. the Grateful Dead are often like that. Mm. It's, not, it's not written in stone that it's going to be some fabulous show. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. You know, what I mean, who knows why or whatever. And that's again. I mean, that's why I loved them as a band and why I loved the Stones. It's not mm. necessarily the case that you're going to go to a Stones show and it's going to be the most fabulous show in the world. They're human beings, man. Mm. There's that human feeling in their playing. Mm. The, I didn't get that. You don't get that feeling from the Eagles and I didn't get that feeling from Pink Floyd. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, these yeah. Other, <laughs> this is another kind of band. Yeah. Listen, I just want to say I've got a few minutes left to yeah. man. And yeah. I'm starting well, to droop. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, you've, you've been very generous. Um, come, come, do you want to talk a little bit about um, Australia and why yeah. you're there and what, what's going on for well, you these days? I'm in Australia because I fell in love with a girl. Right. Good reason to right. go anywhere. And then uh, then uh, we got married. And uh, then uh, we had children. And it was a matter of... Uh, well, we're, we were in England. She was in England for 19 years before uh, we were married. Um, well, yeah. Yeah, about that. 16 years, maybe. Maybe I'm exaggerating. Anyway, I can't remember. 15, 16 years. <coughs> She'd been a student there and had uh, done a couple of degrees and was finishing a PhD at Oxford in Buddhist studies. And um, there was a considerable debate between us as to where we would live. And so it was like, well, let, let's go and have a look at Australia and, you know, see what you think about it. I wanted to live in Spain. I didn't, I mean, I didn't yeah. know Australia, never yeah, been yeah. in Australia, you know. 
So we came to Australia and I loved it. I mean, how could you not love it? It was beautiful. You know, it was everything that I like, mm. which is basically warm for mm. a start. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, I'm not a cold weather yeah, person yeah. really, although I put up with it. Yeah. So it's like warm and it seemed great and fucking it went, went on forever. It's huge. All the things I like, you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. So we decided, well, it would be nice, you know, to live in Australia. So that's what we did. So that's why I'm there. Mm. And since I've been there, basically I've been pretty lazy, really. I mean, I've just wanted to get by, get high and get by, as you do. You know mm. what I mean? Mm. I mean, I'm 75. Um, the only thing I've ever wanted to do after I've finished working with the, the Rolling Stones and the Grateful Dead, really, and that, that period of my life was to be a writer. Mm. So that's what I've done. So I was going to say, you've realised that in a few different forms. The book's been out for a while now. The, um, in the middle of other books. Yeah, I was going to say, you must yeah. be working on other things, but you blog uh, my, you blog in various yeah. ways. You've yeah. had blogs, but you also um, post on Facebook. A lot, yeah. A lot. Um, I write a thing about New Zealand yeah. today you can have right. a read on. Yeah, cool. But I mean, yeah, I mean, people ask me what I'm doing. I'm, well, I'm writing a book called Sex for the Over 80s, currently... Uh, research insane yeah, yeah. I, I mean I've had five cancers and four wives mm. so when people ask me you know what are you doing I say well I've fucking done enough already for a start <laughs> you know what I mean that's I mean the cancers just have eaten up the last four years of my life and now that's all behind me inshallah hopefully mm. but at least so you know I'm clear mm. I've had huge operations I've only got half a lung that's why I've got to stop because I get to the point of talking mm. I can't I can't really breathe very well. Mm. And, um, yeah, I've had a six-hour stomach operation, then another operation on my colon here. There was another fucking, like, eight hours. So I had massive operations, huge amounts of radiation and chemotherapy and all that crap where I didn't lose my hair. Still got my hair, strangely enough, just about. And, uh, yeah, so that's been a big struggle. So I've just luckily... Been uh, and then I was just through my last divorce, never getting married again. I've decided, fuck that. That's you've given that a good. Go- you've given that a good go. You've had, had a few yeah, goes yeah, at yeah. it. We've had a few goes at that. <laughs> Obviously not, not designed for those, uh, <laughs> those trenches. And yeah, uh, um, yeah going to uh, uh, yeah, I'll have a library instead of a fifth wife. I mm, think I'll have my mm. go back to my library and. Uh, I've been very lucky, man. The the Australian government, bless them, has given me a, a like, you know, like social housing. Mm. Given me a really beautiful apartment in a brand new building, brand new apartment, one bedroom apartment, perfect for me. A friend of mine built all all uh, bookshelves in the bedroom, so because I've, I've never been a person that just has a room to mm. sleep in, I, I've never been able to see that as a particularly good idea. You can say you're on the bus for. For was, so long, even when you got off the bus with bands, you got on the bus in your was, own life. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, yeah. I've always been a traveller. Yeah, But yeah. those days, really, because now, now I've seen mm. OPD very badly. Mm. Um, although it's pretty good today, it has been pretty good, touch wood, uh, for the last kind of month. Uh, I breathe in difficulty, so, you know, my days of travelling all over the world are mm. probably done. Mm. But then at the same time, I'm 75, man. I, you know, I can still... Uh, I imagine you've seen um, and been involved in more things than many, many people. So I guess, but I've had my fair share of uh, fun and excitement. But I, I, you know, for me, the challenge has been not to go on the road and travel because I've yes. done that all my life. Yeah. I've got the opposite kind of travel, which is to stop, uh, opposite 
kind of challenge, yes. which is to do the other thing, yeah. which is stop. Yeah. Okay, you've done enough. Yeah. Now stop. Now be in one place. Do your writing. Get that finished. I've, you know, books are like wars, man. I've, I've got three books <laughs> that I've started yeah. that need finishing, you know. Fiction as well? Yeah. Fiction uh, no, books I, or just I did all... write a book. Yeah, I wrote a fiction thing, but I'm looking for an illustrator. Right. I wrote a book that's for an illustrated book. Mm. It's about James Bond when he's an old man. <laughs> yeah, it's finished and everything. Yeah. Yeah, all, yeah. all good. So we'll... Uh, We'll see what happens with that. But um, yeah. I'm going on to, I'm doing a cancer memoir, which the head of the university hospital that I was in mm. wants to write a for He and I got on yeah. very well. I want to call it Please Die Quietly and Don't Make a Mess. <laughs> it's like a, a fresh look at cancer. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because yeah. people are just so morbid and stupid yes, about it. and scared. It and scared. scared. And it's just silly. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's not necessary to be, you know, so... Uh, mm. In, in that, but we'll see. Um, and in the meantime, I, I've, I've got a. I did a book of my occasional writings called Penography, mm-hmm. which I want to uh, probably add some more writing to. Update. Yeah. And then do that as a book of yeah. writings, of yeah. which I would have. Um, yeah, I mean, I'd do it in North America. Yeah. Like so, you know, yeah. don't give me. 50,000 or something as an advance, some 25, 30,000, 50,000, I don't know. Yeah. I never even think about money, I don't really care about it, man. Yeah. I mean, I'm very lucky. I've got an old age pension and a place to live. I've got, what do I fucking worry? I'm not fucking living in the Philippines without a penny, am I? I'm not starving to death in Africa. You've, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Life is good. <laughs> You've also got um, so many great, great stories, and, and thank you for sharing. Um, them in this book, which people can still check out, which I'll give a full plug to. Yeah, I'd I love, love people you to. Know? I mean, yeah. the, the, the place they need to go to is my website. Yes. www.samcutlersplural. Samcutlersbooks.com. Right, yeah. They go there. If they buy the book there, they get a special, uh, they get a special secret treat as well, which I can't tell you about. Yeah, don't eat because you got to sneak don't it through eat, customs. Don't eat page ninety-five. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, but you know, yeah, there's this nice little special treat that you can only get by buying the book from there. And yeah, man, it's it's. Um, I want people to read it. I mean, the reason I want people to read it is because it's no bullshit. It's the truth, yeah. as yeah. I saw it. Of course, yeah. I mean, every one man's truth could be another man's, you know. Uh, disillusion or whatever but i mean yeah well as i said at the start you're you know you're an engaging um storyteller and a good writer which which helps anyway but man you've got the got the material there so uh had a bit of raw material uh, yeah 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 yeah. i mean i'm not discounting the fact that more will come down the road yeah hopefully you know what i mean mean, there's all kinds i'm sure there's all kinds of gorgeous women threatening come to come and visit me (laughs) And I, you know, my, my double bed's been built and it's that high off the ground, so I'm ready for whatever, you know what I mean? <laughs> bring it on, as they say, bring it on. And as Guy Sears said, which maybe is a good uh, a good title for your uh, piece, yeah. keep it real, you know. I mean, that's something, one of the reasons I'm coming to talk to you is because I know that, you know, I, first off, I haven't talked to many journalists in, in uh, New Zealand, but I want, you know, if journalists are going to write about what I did, I want to, you know, give them, give them enough bullets to put in their gun that, that you know, something <laughs> yeah. comes out of it that's 
that's real yeah. and meaningful. That people that are reading it going, oh no, not more fucking rock and roll bullshit. <laughs> well, you know, there's plenty of it out there, isn't it? Yeah, there is. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. So I think you know, keeping it keep it real was the thing. That the Grateful Dead were always we constantly were saying that to one another and reminding one another and reminding other people, hey, keep it real, you know. So when people <laughs> wanted to, <coughs> you know, see Jerry or whatever, mm. if they were behaving in a kind of quasi hysterical manner, first off, they'd never get to see it. We just, you know, keep them away from mm. him. But mm. secondly, we'd always say, look, man, keep it real. We, you know, Jerry don't need that bullshit. You don't need it. What the fuck, you know? Mm. Be realistic here. Get real, man. You know what I mean? We're all human beings. We all bleed if we're cut. Come on. You know? And so I think that's, that's important, especially given how unreal the entertainment industry mm. has become mm. and how a bit tedious, to tell you the truth. I mean, I don't see much exciting out there for me. You can't always get what you want. You can't always get what you want But if you try sometimes, you might find Just fight, fight. 